Today in Science from Wired. Today in Science from Wired. Climate change is turning cities into ovens. A new model estimates that by 2100, cities across the world could warm as much as 4.4 degrees Celsius. It's a deadly consequence of the heat island effect. By Matt Simon. Are you a city mouse or a country mouse? Well, whatever side of the city versus rural debate you're on, the objective laws of thermodynamics say that cities lose on at least one front. Cities tend to get insufferably hotter, more than surrounding rural areas do. But why, though? Well, it's all thanks to the urban heat island effect. That's where buildings and roads in cities actually absorb energy from the sun during the day and then release it way into the night. But in the rural areas, the greenery provides shade and releases water that cools the air. And all over the world, climate change is making this urban heat island effect even more nasty, and it's only going to get worse, like way worse. An international team of researchers has used a new modeling technique to estimate that by the year 2100, the world's cities could warm by as much as 4.4 degrees Celsius on average. Okay, so for perspective, that figure obliterates the Paris Agreement's optimistic goal for a global average temperature rise of 1.5 degrees Celsius from pre-industrial levels. In fact, the team's figure more than doubles the agreement's hard goal of limiting the global rise to no more than two degrees Celsius. But up until now, global climate models have just kind of conveniently forgot about urban areas, and for good reason. They only make up three percent of the planet's land surface. Cities are but a blip, so researchers are more interested in the dynamics of things like the ocean, ice, and air currents. Lei Zhao is a climate scientist at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and also the lead author on a recent paper describing this modeling that was published in Nature Climate Change. Lei says we're closing this kind of gap. We provide urban-specific projections for the future. His team's model suggests that hotter cities could be catastrophic for urban public health, which is already suffering from the effects of increasing heat. The World Health Organization says that between 2000 and 2016, the number of people exposed to heat waves jumped by 125 million, and extreme heat claimed more than 166,000 lives between 1998 and 2017. And right now, about half of the world's population lives in urban areas, but that proportion is expected to rise to 70% by 2050, according to the authors of this new paper. People are searching for economic opportunity and moving to the cities, and they're unknowingly rushing into danger. Camilo Mora wasn't involved in the work on this particular article, but he is a climate scientist of the University of Hawaii in Manoa, and he says, "When I read these papers, I just don't know what's wrong with humanity, to be honest with you, because this is like the same song being sung by different people." Come on, man! When are we going to get serious about this problem? This is another person ringing the bell. We just, for some reason, refuse to hear this thing. Now, to calculate how much city temperatures might rise, Zhao and his colleagues from a number of institutions, including Princeton University and Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory, built a statistical model for the climate of urban regions, and they focused on changing temperatures and humidities. These two factors are the conspiring menaces of extreme heat. Our bodies respond to high temperatures by perspiring. We sweat. 
some of us more than others. But if you want to get fancy with it, we call it evaporative cooling. But humidity makes that process less efficient because the more moist the air is around you, the less it just accepts the evaporating sweat from our bodies. That's why humid heat feels so much more uncomfortable than dry heat. Heat and humidity are not only uncomfortable, they can be dangerous. Mora has identified 27 ways heat can kill you. When your body detects that it's overheating, it redirects blood from the organs at your core to your skin, and that dissipates more heat from your body into the air around you, right? That's why your skin turns red when you're hot. But in extreme heat, this can spiral out of control, resulting in what's called ischemia. That's the critically low flow of blood to the organs. This can damage crucial organs like your brain or your heart. And a high body temperature can cause cell death, a.k.a. heat cytotoxicity. Humidity makes the risk of overheating and organ failure even worse because you can't sweat as efficiently to cool down when it's humid. This extreme heat can take out healthy people, and those with heart and respiratory conditions like asthma are particularly vulnerable. Children are also at particular risk because of the thermodynamics of their bodies. They're smaller, and their size means that they both heat up and cool down faster. When Camilo Mora teaches his students this, he uses the analogy of trying to cook a large potato. Even one that is heated for a long time can still be cold in the middle. But if you want to heat it up faster, just cut it in half. You double the area for exposing the potato to the heat so that it can get to the core of the potato easier. What you have done is change the ratio of volume to area, he says. That's exactly what happens in children. In adults, we can cope with the heat better because not only do we have an insulation layer, the heat will take a longer time to get to the core. On the other hand, he continues for children, the heat that is there is pretty much all the way down to their core. Mora likens the simultaneous risks of climate change and the heat island effect to having to fight two enemies at the same time. He says dealing with climate change is like getting into a fight with Mike Tyson. With the heat island effect that these guys just documented here, that is now bringing Jackie Chan on top of Mike Tyson. So now you got to face those two guys. There's just no way for people to cope with this. Zhao and his team wanted to show what these two forces might do to cities. They turned their statistical model into an emulator which mimics complex climate models but focuses on urban areas. They assumed either intermediate or high emission levels from here on out. They could then apply the emulator to results from over two dozen global climate models to translate coarse climate model outputs to the city level. When they assumed an intermediate level of emissions, they found that, on average, the planet's urban regions could warm 1.9 degrees Celsius over the next 80 years. And when they assumed a high level, the figure became an astonishing 4.4 degrees Celsius. Overall, you guys, it's bad news, no matter where a city dweller lives. But urban areas will be affected in different ways. Like the modeling found that the northern United States, particularly the upper Midwest, it'll warm more than the southern U.S. And when it comes to relative humidity, inland cities around the world will tend to dry while coastal cities will stay wetter, which would make sense because they're next to water. But humanity can brace its urban areas for the brutal heat that climate change is already throwing in our faces. How? Well, by making them more rural. Yep, greening up public spaces makes them nicer to look at and gives people shade. 
The leaves on the trees act like tiny little air conditioners because they release moisture to cool the environment. And the less the sun directly beats down on the pavement, the less the built environment will absorb its energy. And maybe, fingers crossed, with the arrival of the Biden administration, the U.S. could even revive the New Deal's Civilian Conservation Corps, which puts people back to work greening up the cities. Where do I sign up? And can I keep the pen? And programs like this are especially critical in communities of color and low-income neighborhoods because they tend to be less green, and so they're going to be more likely to suffer from the heat island effect. That's just a consequence of racist housing policies. And plus, according to Elizabeth Sawin, who's the director of Climate Interactive, which is a nonprofit that focuses on the intersection of climate change and inequity, greening creates jobs. We need people to grow the trees in a nursery and then others to plant and maintain them. Sawin says, particularly when that can be done in partnership with the communities, there's a real opportunity to train people in new skills. Those would be investments that would really help cities adapt to the climate change we can't prevent. Like what you learned? Subscribe everywhere you listen to podcasts and get more science news at wired.com science.